Old Covenant, his Old Testament, he's pointing ultimately towards what he wants to do to rescue and save mankind for himself. And so we're in part two of the Noah Covenant, if you will. And so I want you to just follow along with this sample size of Scripture, kind of working from the Old Testament all the way to Revelation. And just see if you see a pattern, okay? Exodus 29, 45-46. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11-12. through 12. I will put my dwelling place among them, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Ezekiel 36, 37, 27. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Zechariah 2, 11. Many nations will be joined with the Lord on the, in that day and will become my people and I will dwell among you and you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you John chapter 1 verse 14 and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth revelation 21 3 and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Do you see a pattern? Do you see a pattern of God saying, I am going to dwell among men and women, they will be my people, and I will be their God. This is God's original intent from the garden. That he would walk with the man and the woman and be face to face with them. There would be close fellowship. And they would walk with him and live with him. But then sin entered because Adam and Eve, our forefather and mother, disobeyed the one commandment they were given, and it affected everything. And most specifically, it affected our relationship with the Holy God. He had to banish the man and the woman from the garden and not be in His presence anymore because He's a holy God. And second of all, it affected our hearts and our attitudes toward God. We're affected with sin. You know, maybe we want sometimes to do the right thing, but our, the way our hearts are affected, we, we end up doing our own thing. It is a curse, if you will. And the Lord has to punish that rebellion. But even within the initial curse of death, there's a promise that comes that a seed would be born of the woman to crush the head of the serpent who deceived them. But if we go along in the story, and we saw this last week, things don't get better, they get worse with the hearts of men and women. We're in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And so as we saw last week, God brought the flood to wipe out 
this cancerous wickedness, wickedness before a holy God against a holy God. But even in this devastating judgment, overwhelming judgment, God brought his salvation. He provided for Noah and his family the ark. And what we're going to see next is a promise, again, of his dwelling with us. But here's the thing. We haven't read it yet, so you haven't missed anything. It's strangely going to come in a curse. Strangely going to come in a curse. So let me pray for us. And then let's ask the Lord to open our eyes to what he wants to say to us and give us hope for the future. So Lord, we're so grateful for your kindness, for your provision of the Lord Jesus. And we are grateful as we have sung for your faithfulness. You meet us day in and day out with the little things, even the changing of the seasons, Lord. We are grateful for that. We're grateful that you, a holy God, have made a way for us to be reconciled to you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now would you send your Holy Spirit and stir him up among us that we might see what you have for us from your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. I pray these things. Amen. So last week we kind of started things out talking about the problem of the fall. Right? The problem of the fall is going to be dealt with in the flood. But here's the problem also. While Noah and his family and the animals end up in the, the ark and they're safe from the flood, the problem of sin has not been completely eradicated. It's still in Noah. It's still in the hearts of his sons. And we're going to see that. Number two, we also saw the preservation of the faithful. Because Noah walked with God. He believed God and what he said he was going to do. And it was reckoned as righteousness before God because of his faith. And so he obeyed God and built this ark. And it was decades. Remember, we meet Noah when he's 500. They get launched when he's 600. So this thing went over decades of, of him building this ark that he might be saved, he and his family and the animals, uh, from this coming judgment. They trusted God to do what they could not do themselves. They entered into the one door in the ark, his family and the animals, to be saved from the coming judgment, and then God shut the door behind them. And in the same way we likened it to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus who would say, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So thus far, we've talked about the flood. We've talked about the faith of Noah and his family. And now we're going to talk about the future. And I'm not going to go into verse 8 and the, probably the whole year that they spent on the ark. You can go back and read that yourself. But I do want to recount and highlight the blessings that that Jill just read. And just to talk about God's faithfulness again, right? First of all, there's a blessing of the seasons. That there's going to be cold, hot, seed time. I don't know about you, but that is a real blessing of God's faithfulness. If you're a farmer, if you don't know what the weather's going to be like three months from now, how would you operate? So it is, it is a blessing. There's a predictability. Yes, we don't know how much snow there's going to be here in January, but we know there's going to be snow, right? It's predictable. Number two, the blessing of fruitfulness. Remember, God has wiped out the entire earth. 
He's got to start all over with Noah and his family to, um, to fulfill, to repopulate the earth. There's also the blessing of domination over the animal kingdom, to be God's steward, but also to enjoy it. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a good steak, huh? Come on. Can I get a witness? All right. Also, there's the, the blessing of the sanctity of human life. That life is so sacred that if you take wantonly the life of a, a man or woman made in God's image, your life should be forfeit for that, because of that, because God has given sanctity to human life because we are made in the image of God. And then last of all, the blessing of the covenant of the rainbow, that God would never destroy the earth by water ever again. And listen to this in verse 8 where it says, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. God knows that. That's still true. But he sets his sign of the rainbow graciously in the sky to remember his judgment and to remember his mercy. Here's what I want, to, I want us to know. Is that the rainbow is a sign of humility and not pride. A holy God withholds His judgment. And our response to Him should be repentance. It should be saying, God, where I'm out of sorts with you, let me turn back and get in alignment with you. I'm a man just like this flesh and blood like the rest of you. You and I are still struggling with sin. We are. Whether it's greed and materialism, whether it's anger and unforgiveness, whether it is a haughty spirit and thinking you're superior than others, whether it's sensuality or giving yourself over to sexuality that is outside of God's purview, what He said is good that is outside of the confines of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. That rainbow is there to remind us that God has been faithful and gracious to withhold His judgment and His kindness in order that we might repent and turn toward Him. And I want to say this, to insist that God would approve or affirm or even celebrate and promote a lifestyle or living outside of what God has revealed about his own character or his own word, to say that he needs to approve of that, he needs to celebrate it, he needs to rejoice in it, I want to tell you is, is idolatry. It's idolatry because now we're making God in our own image. We're saying, God, you need to fit my, my desires rather than us being conformed to His likeness. And if that's true of us, we need to repent. We need to repent. The rainbow there is there to humble us, not make us proud. But as I mentioned earlier, we're really looking towards a promise, a blessing that follows strangely in a curse. And so here we are in chapter 9, verses 18 through 29, and I want to read them for you. And I'm going to use the NASB today. I usually use the NIV, but it's important to have kind of a word-for-word -word translation, especially when I get to things here at the very end here. 
Now Noah, the sons of Noah came out. Noah and the sons of Noah came out. They were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. When Noah began farming and planted a vineyard, he drank wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. So again, sin is still alive and well, even in Noah. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. He wants to embarrass dad. He wants to shame him. He wants to exploit him. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew that what his youngest son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. Notice there, he says Canaan, not Ham. Why is that? We'll see that. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now this is one of the most misunderstood passages of the Scripture. It's also one of the most, mis, it's mo, most abused, because it was used to justify the African slave trade. Cursed be the sons of Ham. If you don't know that, we can talk about that afterward, but it's true. It's true. And it's not true that that is what this passage is teaching. But let's unpack what we know because there's a promise here. A promise of blessing. Noah plants a vine. He makes wine. He gets drunk. And we don't know whether that's on purpose or not. Whether he just, you know, like, hey, I'll have some more. And all of a sudden it's like the world starts spinning and he takes off all his clothes. We don't know. But we know it's not right. Because he is under the control of the spirit of wine. And that's why God in the New, New Testament says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be under the control of wine. We want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And Noah was under the control of the spirit of wine. He, he's naked in his tent. And so his youngest son, Ham, exploits this. He shames his father. He embarrasses him in front of his brothers. I don't know why. Is it to diminish his authority? Is it to, to, to make dad look bad? I don't, I don't like what dad is saying, so I'm going to try and, you know, knock him down a peg or two. We don't know. But we also know it's, uh, it's against God's word when he calls us to honor our father and our mother in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. But here's the funny thing. When Noah comes out of this, he realizes what's going on. He curses Canaan, and not Ham. Canaan is Ham's son, one of four, the first of who is Cush. 
And Cush is the father of the North Africans and the Babylonians. So, this is Canaan, not Cush we're talking about. So this does not apply. Okay? But the question still is, why? What's going on here? Well, maybe first of all, Noah can't curse whom God has already blessed in Ham. You see, when we get to verse 1 of chapter 9, it says that God blessed Noah and his sons. Maybe this is much like Balaam, when he says, I cannot curse the people of Israel. Just like Balaam said in Numbers, uh, let's see, chapter 23, verse 8, the talking donkey. I can't, I can't curse whom God is blessed. And maybe, this is conjecture, okay? Maybe Noah sees in Canaan this lewdness in Ham. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just hold on to that thought, okay? But, number three, who are the sons of Canaan? Who do they end up being? Genesis 10, 15-18. Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Archites, and the Sinites, and the Arvidites, and the Zemorites, and the Hamathodites, and afterward, the family of Canaan were spread abroad. Where? Where were they spread? To the land of Canaan. Of course. Where's the land of Canaan? It's modern-day Israel. Palestine, parts of Jordan, parts of, parts of Lebanon. That's where these descendants ended. They ended up living in this land. That's where they end up. And God says in Leviticus chapter 18, when he's going to judge them, there's a sexual deviancy in them. And, and so God says they have defiled the land. They're going to be vomited out of the land. So, again, I don't know what Canaan lived his life like, but his descendants were entering into sexuality that was not approved by God. But most of all, and here's what I'm driving at, Noah is, is being prophetic. He's a prophet here. And he says, again, that Canaan is going to be a slave to Shem. Well, who, who is Shem? Who are the Shemites? Who are the Semites? Maybe this is starting to ring a bell for you. In Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 31, we see the, the, the family line from Shem all the way up to Abram, who becomes Abraham. Ten generations. And Abraham becomes the father of Isaac. And Isaac becomes the father of Jacob who becomes Israel. The descendants who will come out of slavery and will come back to the land of Canaan and will be called to conquer this promised land. And we see that all the way through the book of Joshua from chapter 7 through 24. They will subjugate the, the descendants of Canaan. In fact, the Semites will be used to bring God's just judgment upon them. That does not mean that the Israelites don't ha are without sin. But that's a sermon for another time. But God uses them to bring his judgment on the sons of Canaan, if you will, the, the family of Canaan. 
Now, I don't know about you, as I read this, I kind of, man, Canaan and his descendants, they're kind of getting a raw deal here. What's up with that? They're destined to be slaves of the descendants of, of, uh, of siblings. But here's where the blessing is found in the curse. And this is why I'm going to a more literal translation. Verse 26. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So Noah is speaking prophetically that he sees that Shem and his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord, Yahweh, will be their God. Not so much with the descendants of the other brothers who will worship idols and false gods. And he also says, And may Canaan be his servant. Noah predicts conflicts and servitude between these two families. But here's where, here's where we're drilling down. Now listen to this. And may God enlarge Japheth. So God is expanding throughout the world the families of Japheth. And they will be prolific all throughout the world. Who does this? It's God who does this, right? May God expand Japheth. So this begs the question in the next clause. Who is he? And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. You see, some translations have decided that he is Japheth. And it's not. That's not what the Hebrew text says. It's a possibility. But what I'm saying is the he, God is a subject, and God is saying, I am going to dwell in the tents of Shem. That's what's going to happen here. This is the next covenant in salvation history. A promise to dwell. And that promise starts out with dwelling in the tents of Shem. Let's just fast forward real quick. A quick sample size again. Exodus 25, verses 8 through 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle. And all its furnishings, exactly like the pattern I will show you. The tabernacle is a tent for a holy God to dwell in the camp of His people. The Shemites. The Israelites. And it is a holy temple. Only the high priest can enter that temple. But He is dwelling in the midst of this tabernacle, this tent. He is dwelling in the midst of these Shemites or these Semites. Leviticus chapter 26 verses 11 through 12. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you and I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Look, it matters how you live and what you put in the camp. I'm dwelling among you. You can't go to the bathroom on the sidewalk here. You got to take it outside the camp. I'm a holy God. I'm dwelling among you. And then Ezekiel. These people have been rebellious against the holy God. My dwelling will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So there's hope to be restored that God would dwell with them. You see, back in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to meet this Semite, this Shemite named Abram. And God's going to come to him and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And through you and your seed, I will bless all nations. And that blessing is 
that they would know and serve the living God and that they that God would ultimately dwell with him. So just hang in there. The last the last phrase of this of this this sentence is and may Canaan be his servant. Who's his? Who's he? It's God. Not the servant of Cain, not the servant of Jephthah, but the servant of God. You see, ultimately God is saying, I'm moving you from a person that pulls water and wood for the Shemites and the Jephthites to be my servant. And that's totally different. Because you become part of my house. And I am a good master and I'm doing so much more. And I'm making you so much part of something that is so much greater than you. And it will be a privilege. Because you will know me you will dwell with me, and I love you, and I made you to be restored unto me. You see what's going on here? It's over God's, over time, God's sovereign plan to bring Canaan's descendants would move from being trapped as servants of Shem and Jephthah to being servants of the living God. A great privilege. And that's what would happen over the decades. And, and in the Old Testament, there were some. Canaanites that attached themselves to Israel. We've got Tamar, who was the daughter-in-law of, of the patriarch Judah. We've got Rahab, the harlot, who welcomes the spies in, in Jericho. We've got Uriah the Hittite, who, who was the husband of Bathsheba. But really, this is, there's a prophesying of a greater reality here in Christ. Zechariah 2.11 and many nations will be joined with the Lord on that day and will become my people. And I will dwell among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. It's not the Shemites. It's the nations. And ultimately it is fulfilled in the seed of Jesus Christ who is the seed of Abraham. Who is both the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the son of God. Whom John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. Who will come, live the life that we can't live, who will die and pay a penalty that we can't pay, and will ultimately rise to conquer a foe that we can't conquer. And interestingly enough, not everyone is happy to see Him. Not everyone will receive Him. Earlier in the same passage, verse 11 of John 1, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. But, as many as received Him, He gave the right to become children of God, even those who believed in His name. Even descendants of Canaan. Strangely enough. And you know what? When you receive Him by faith, not only did He come to dwell with us, He comes to dwell in you through His Holy Spirit. Maybe today you feel like Canaan. Maybe you feel like you're cursed. Maybe you feel like men are against you and even God is against you. Maybe you think, well, and I, I did it to myself. And maybe you did. Maybe you did. But God 
has made a way for you to be reconciled, that he may dwell with you, and that you can be his servant and be involved in his kingdom. Again, the strange thing about this is this, this blessing comes out of a curse. But strangely enough, our salvation is born out of a curse. Listen to this. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. You see, the Scripture teaches again, we have a sin problem. Yeah, the earth got destroyed and people were wiped out, but sin was still alive and well in our hearts. And Jesus has to come and deal with that. To, he's, we are unable to save ourselves. And God sends His Son to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. And it's by faith in Him. And that is the new covenant. That is the fulfillment of of what God is promising here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Canaanite, dare I say. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants according to the promise. You see, God's purpose, again, was to restore us to Himself. That He did it through his, the sacrifice of His Son that we might dwell with Him and live with Him face to face as we did in the garden. Hmm. Why did I tell you all this? First of all, if you have not responded to God's invitation to dwell with Him forever, to be His servant, to be His child, His daughter, His son, maybe today is the day. He wants to dwell with you. But I'm going to tell you this. You are under a curse. You are under a curse today of your own sin having rebelled against the holy God. And the Scripture says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're under a curse unless you have the Son, unless you have Christ, unless you take what God has provided for you. 1 John 5, 11, and 12 says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and that life is in His Son. That he who has a Son has life. He who does not have a Son does not have life. This is no judgment against you. For my part. But God is saying, look, I'm giving you life. But it has to be in my Son. This is not an option. It is life or death. Will you choose life to be eternally with me? And second of all, for those of us who do know 
Are you rejoicing in this? I'll tell you what, folks. I have not taken a DNA test. I don't know whether I come from Shem, Ham, or Japheth. All that I know is what I have is undeserved by the grace of God, whether I am a Semite or a Canaanite. And I rejoice in that. And I have good news to share with others. That's the so what of this. That God has promised to dwell with men, whether they're cursed or not. Because He has a blessing for you in His Son, Jesus, who is the one who came from the Semites, the Shemites. That's the beauty of the Gospel. You and I don't deserve it. But if we'll receive that blessing, we receive redemption, righteousness, and restoration. And we get to dwell with Him face to face forever. Hmm. I don't know how you're receiving this. But I want to pray right now. Especially if you want to receive Him for the very first time. If you want to put your faith in Christ. Because He wants to give you life. He wants to remove you from the curse. And then we'll continue on with the service. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to make a way for us to dwell with you. That, Father, you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whosoever will believe in you will not perish but have everlasting life. And if that's you, if that's you who needs to respond for the very first time, would you say, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I have gone my own way. But I receive what you have done by living a perfect life that I can't live, by paying a penalty I can't pay, by going to the cross for me, and from rising from the dead and conquering a foe I can't conquer. Lord, come into my heart. I take you at your word. It says, to as many as believed in him, even those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Come and do that today, we pray. For the rest of us, would you give us grace to rejoice, to (laughs) thank you, rejoice in our salvation, and also to Make that good news known. So I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.